welcome back to the podcast. I have here with me the lovely Eleanor Jowans. Would you like to introduce yourself for everyone, please? Yes. Hello. Um, I am Dr. Eleanor Jowant. I am a research fellow in uh, systems biology at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, which is um, joint between the University of Sussex and the University of Brighton. And I do um, research on blood cancers. Awesome. And so I think the first thing I wanted to ask, because kind of the topic of today is disabilities in STEM. I know a lot of people kind of have slightly non-traditional career paths moving up to that. So I was wondering kind of how you got here, what your academic journey looked like. Um, yeah, so my academic journey is fairly straightforward, although um, has been interrupted a little bit. Um, so I... I did my undergraduate degree in biochemistry at the University of Manchester, and that was a four year degree. And I did a placement year um, working in an MRC lab in Cambridge. And during this time, I decided that I, I wanted to do research. That was what my passion was. Um, so then I pursued a master's course after my uh, my undergrad, and that was at Sussex. Uh, and it was in genetic manipulation and molecular cell biology. and this is where my career took a little bit of a, a stumble um, and I, I decided that I, I wasn't coping um, with my mental health at all. So I, I ended up taking uh, a temporary withdrawal and uh, so I did one semester, then sort of took a year out and then I came back and finished my degree. So it was a one year course, but I did it over two years. Um, then after my master's, I decided I wanted to do a PhD. So I did a PhD in chemistry at the University of Warwick. And this was sort of a, a slightly sideways step from a, a step out of my comfort zone. But I decided that a PhD is the time that you you try new things, you learn new skills. Um, and it was it was really fascinating. And during my PhD, I taught myself to code. I was doing a PhD partially in computational chemistry. And I realized that that coding is super cool and um, everyone should be doing it. So I, I I decided that moving forward in my career, I I did. I love the lab stuff. I wanted to do the lab stuff, but I also wanted to do computational work. And it was during my PhD that I was diagnosed um, as autistic. Um, so it was a, a late diagnosis. I was diagnosed at the age of 27. Um, and... We all know what happened in 2020. I was lucky enough to be doing my PhD in uh, from the years 2017 to 2021. So my final year was was interrupted by COVID a little bit, um, and I was looking for a job and writing up in in uh, early late 2020, early 2021. Um, and I had actually vowed to never come back to the south of England because it's so expensive. Um, but I saw my current job being advertised and thought, wow, this is just such a good fit for me. It's it's computational, it's lab-based as well. It's in a field that's really, really fascinating. It's in cancer research, and I'm sure any biologist will appreciate that that's a hugely fascinating um, topic to work in. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll go for it, I'll apply. Um, and here I am, so <laughs> back in the South. I saw exactly the same thing. I've only applied to PhDs in the North, but I do have a sinking feeling that I will probably end up back here at some point. 
But yeah, no, that is really interesting. And I found that with a lot of people, um, you see them kind of bounce around different subjects and things, finding a fit. And um, I have, again, done exactly the same thing. My original career path was supposed to be going into medicine, which is absolutely not what happened. Still going for doctor, though, just not like that. So I'm still technically doing what I said. <laughs> but yeah, how do you think kind of researchers suited you in particular? Do you think any other career paths you might have looked at would have been easier or harder? Or do you think that this was kind of the natural fit? I think it was quite natural i i love i love my job uh i don't necessarily love the system in which my job exists in i'm i'm not totally sold on on academia and its bureaucracies and structures um but the research itself is it's brilliant to me and i can't really imagine myself doing anything else I mean, I've always loved animals. I, I'd love to sort of work with animals, but I, I can't really see myself making a career out of that. It would be more like volunteering at a cat shelter or which I have actually done in the past and that was great, but it was never, it never sort of filled me with the same joy that research does. And to me, it's just the most exciting thing when you have a problem and you're stuck on it and you kind of you're trying to think of a, how you can move forward with it and then something clicks and you write a really good piece of code and it works first time or you do an experiment and you get the data that you were hoping for and it's just like it's just the most exciting feeling in the world and I can't imagine myself doing anything else no for sure it is brilliant I mean I've never had a piece of code work first time because I <laughs> that's a rarity <laughs> I barely cope with R, but it is kind of one of those things. And I feel like some people just don't quite get why you'd want to be stuck at the same problem for quite well. And I think that in part is why you find, like, I'm not going to say you find a lot of autistic people in research because I do not have the data to back that up. Anecdotally, however, I have met two neurotypical researchers. So I will say that that kind of passion and drive can help, you know. And have you found the same thing? Like, I know that I'm a little bit better at the pattern recognition stuff than some of the neurotypical peers that I have. Do you think there's anything like that about it? Or have I just got a really biased data set here? Um, so I mainly work with neurotypical people, or, or at least people who appear to be neurotypical. Um, I think I think I do bring a different perspective and I, I do kind of approach problems in a slightly different way compared to neurotypical peers. Um I think I think the concept of being neurotypical in in science and in academia, I'm I'm not sure it's quite the right word because uh there's been studies that have shown that up to 47% of PhD students meet the criteria of being depressed. And some would argue that depression and other mental illnesses do kind of fall under the neurodiversity umbrella. Um, but in terms of like neurodevelopmental conditions, ADHD, uh, autism, dyspraxia, my peers do not have these conditions. Um, and, and yeah, I do think it does it does help with the way that I 
in, in particular, the way that I think about coding, I think is different to my peers. Um, I, I wouldn't really be able to tell you how it's different, but it, it feels like a different creative process compared to when my, my colleagues talk about their work. <sighs> Oh, you know, I don't really I know how or why. You know, it's definitely hard to verbalize. And yeah, that was a good distinction to make, actually. I was, yeah, I was using kind of the wider umbrella term there. So thank you very much for pointing that out because I did not realize how I'd phrase that. Um, it will teach me to make up questions on the fly. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. And I think in terms of the way you look at problems, it's important to have lots of different people with different working styles looking at the same thing, because otherwise that is when you kind of code yourself into a corner or get stuck in a box. Um, and it's just good to have different people looking at it from different angles. Yeah, I mean, there's been multiple studies that have shown that diversity in all its forms is good for science. We, we as humans do not make as much progress in scientific understanding if everyone is an old white man for example as is the cliche in uh in science we need people from all sorts of backgrounds whether that's um gender whether that's um disabilities whether it's um race or like ethnic backgrounds we need all these different people because they do think about things in different ways because they've had different experiences and it, it totally makes sense that if if everybody's thinking about one problem in the same way, you're not going to make nearly as much progress as if you've got 10 different people who can all approach it in a slightly different way. Um, so, yeah, it, it's I think it, it's encouraging that we are seeing more diversity in science over the last decade or so. But there's still a long way to go, I think. Yeah, and kind of in that vein, um, do you think you'd change anything about the kind of research culture and community if you had the magical power to like kind of what do you think is the things that we need to be looking at to kind of go further than that bit of diversity we're starting to see? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, it's not it's not anywhere close to being a perfect system. We know for sure that we have a leaky pipeline in science in terms of race and gender i i don't know of any studies that have shown the same leaky pipeline in terms of disability but i imagine it's there um i think i think there are a few things that that i would change if i could click my fingers and have have change happen and it would be um more role models um at the highest levels I think so I, I know for a fact that I've been very, very lucky and very privileged that I've had some brilliant women supervisors throughout my career so far. And not everyone has had that. And I think if you're a young woman and you want to if you're considering that you might want a family as well, it's really important that you have these role models who are able to be a professor and also have a family and not have to um, give up their job because we we often hear that our science is a very demanding career and it, it is but it is totally possible to have a, a family and i think having role models who are representative of more groups of people women with families um ethnic minorities 
gender minorities, not just women, uh, and people with disabilities would be hugely beneficial for um, encouraging young people to stay in science if they have someone who they can look up to who could potentially be a mentor. In fact, it wasn't until I started at Brighton and Sussex Medical School that I met my first disabled professor, um, who is the amazing Andrea Pepper, who is uh, a, a woman professor. She has a family and she's deaf and she's amazing. And I find her so inspirational as somebody who aspires to be a woman PI with hopefully a family one day and also has a disability. It's and, and we need more representation like that. The other thing I would change if I could is more of a societal change. I think we don't have enough um caring responsibility is still very gendered in the UK and most of the, the world, unfortunately. Um, and I think that massively contributes to a leaky pipeline for women in particular. And I think in the UK, we also approach disability as, um, I can't remember the, the phrase, there's like these two models you can think about disability. One's like a societal one, and one is, there's, there's a second way of thinking about it. And I can't, I can't put my finger on the, um, on the word. I don't know if you know what I'm, I'm trying to get the medical to. model, but I'm not sure if that one's correct. <laughs> It might be. Yeah, I think it, it could be medical model. Um, and it's that as a society, we kind of think about disabled people as being like broken and these are all the medical needs that they have. Whereas actually it's you can think about it in the opposite way where um, society is broken for disabled people. How can we change society to better cater to disabled people's needs? And I think I think there are some changes that have been happening slowly like um for example it's, it's illegal to discriminate against disabled people although i'm not sure that the law necessarily makes that much difference in terms of hiring practices um and legally disabled people can ask for reasonable adjustments at work but i think until we see wider shifts in society as a whole um it's, it's very difficult to ask for these changes as a disabled person. It's very difficult to be your own advocate when it feels a bit like the world is against you, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't think it's as simple as just making some changes in academia. I think it's a much, a much wider problem. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of the problems you find are wider attitudes. Like I remember the absolute uproar when I asked if I could wear ear defenders in a really noisy lab. You would honestly have thought that I wanted to take the batteries out of the fire alarm. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And kind of on that vein, have you found any kind of specific issues like that when you've been looking into accommodations or is it more kind of the hurdles in asking for them in the first place, do you think? Um. I've been very lucky with my my supervisor and the team that I work in. Um, so the main adjustments that I've asked for have been um, I work from home every Wednesday because I find more than three days of social interaction in a row is it's a lot for me. Uh, and I kind of enjoy having that day to 
be on my own and recharge a little bit before having to go back to work on a Thursday and Friday. And I found that that's very beneficial in maintaining my routine and my mental health. Um, I have um, loop earplugs that I wear almost constantly and that's never ever been a cause for a, a, any issues. Um, the the main one I've had um, that I asked for was um, in the lab that I work in, there is a sonicator, which um, for those of you who don't know, it's a, a big box and it makes this horrible, horrible noise and you use it to kind of break up particles or dissolve, dissolve things. Uh, you put a tube in and it goes like, and um, it, it's, I think it's a pretty nasty noise if you're neurotypical, but I, I cannot be in the same room as it. And I've, so I said to people, if you're going to use a sonicator, please tell me and I'll just not be in the room. And people are like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Um, so I think, I think lots of these things are not, they're very small changes that people make. And I feel very lucky that I, I'm very open about being autistic because I think it's really important to be and to, to be a representative person that people can see that there are autistic people in science. Um, and I think the people I work with are very, are very nice and very understanding of that and, and happy to make these minor adjustments. The one that I am still kind of working on is um, I am perpetually too warm. I hate being hot. Um, and the temperature in my office is a bit of an ongoing struggle, uh, but I haven't quite pulled the uh, the autism card yet. I'm kind of trying to resolve it a little bit more democratically, but we'll see. Saving that one for the last Uno reverse move. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely a thing. The lab I'm in at the minute is absolutely brilliant. Like I didn't realise that kind of that sort of resistance wasn't always the case to making changes. Like I didn't even have to ask at first. They were like, what do you need? I was like, oh, mm. okay. I don't have to give you a big piece of paper explaining your legal responsibilities this time. <laughs> and no, it's great to have kind of an environment like that. And I definitely agree on the sonicator. They are the most cursed things in the entire building. And that is including yeah. the freezer that hums all the time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we've talked a lot about kind of what the research community isn't sort of doing. And I feel like you've reminded me there that there is quite a bit of stuff that's happening right. So like kind of what do you think is going well for research that might not be in other careers, do you think? Um, I think a benefit of being at a university is there's there are lots of networks. Like I, I don't know how common in other fields it is for your workplace to have a disability network for example where it's a network of people who are fighting to make positive change for a group of people um and in a similar vein at, at the university of sussex and i think also the university of brighton we have a lot of um committees so for example at, at brighton and sussex medical school we have diversity committees that meet regularly and they discuss all sorts of things like race and disability and gender minorities um and I'm sure that sort of thing does happen in other fields, but probably not to the same extent. So I think that's really positive. The other thing that I think um, 
the University of Sussex in particular does very, very well is um, they're building up a network of mental health first aiders who um, are able to be a person to contact um, if you're having a mental health crisis, which I'm sure you know when you're neuro uh, neurodiverse, uh, neurodivergent even, um, mental health is often a challenge. Um, so uh, I'm actually a trained mental health first aider and I'd encourage anyone who wants to, to um, try and find out a little bit more about that initiative and, and get the training because you're far more likely to encounter a person having a mental health crisis then you are a person having a heart attack and yet every building has trained physical first aiders but not every building has mental first aiders um anyway sorry that was a bit of a tangent what else does research do well um i think one thing we're seeing quite recently is a lot of um kind of diversity outreach um initiatives so um brighton sussex medical school for example does an outreach seminar series designed for um designed for sixth form students where um people from all sorts of backgrounds not just minorities also like literally anyone in science um can volunteer to do um to do a lecture where they'll speak to um students about their experiences so i'm actually doing one uh in March talking about my experience um, as an autistic person in academia and then a little bit about my research in uh, on blood cancer. Um, and there's other initiatives like um, Soapbox Science, which is a, an initiative for um, women and gender minorities in science to literally stand on a box and talk about science to people walking past. And it was I, I did that um, back in May and it was terrifying and I never want to do it again but it was great and everyone should do it um so I think there's lots and lots of schemes and opportunities to try and encourage minorities in science um I think it's lots of it is tailored towards um gender minorities because I think that's probably one of the most visible um visible uh I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say here disparities yeah yeah I think that's what I was going for um but I think it would be really good to have more schemes for for like non-white people and also disabled people that are similar um yeah I, I think I think there's a lot of progress, but I think it's very important for us to remember that diversity in science is a very, very much an ongoing thing. And it's not just about women. It's not just about um, disability. It's not just about race. It's about everything we have. We're not finished until everyone is included. And I think I think you you often see discourse about um, white feminists on um, in these sort of uh, diversity committees who are really really campaigning for women's rights and wanting to get women involved, and then as soon as there's a woman on the panel, then 
okay, we're done here. That's all we need. No more diversity required. And I try to be very mindful that that's, that's not what it should be. It's, we need everyone. And I think the research community is still a little bit more women focused when it comes to their diversity initiatives um they've got things like athena swan and and not to say athena swan is a bad thing in any way of course like yes more women in science please but not just more women in science more disabled people more non-white people more everyone who is represented anyway sorry that was a, another tangent <laughs> oh it is a fine, fine tangents are more than welcome here and you did make a really good point you do see a lot of tokenism sometimes in some of these yeah. initiatives like i remember lgbt the if i could speak lgbt history month stuff going on here and there were all these posters and there was all of these flags everywhere and everyone was going on about it and then the the end of the month hit and it all just vanished never to be spoken of again until the next year and that is something that you kind of see happening a bit in these kind of big drives and so I think it's good to see it as a big ongoing issue instead of a sudden push that everyone needs that will just go away after a while but yeah I think kind of the last sort of thing I wanted to ask was what advice you have for people in your position approaching a career in STEM so maybe somebody who is disabled a woman something like that where would you kind of suggest they look do anything like that so I think my advice would be to try and surround yourself with people who don't just support you, people who celebrate you, celebrate you for who you are and the way you are, and not just in a, oh, you're our token woman, you're our token neurodivergent person. Um, people who genuinely appreciate the, the viewpoint that you bring because of your experiences and of course that's much much easier said than done um but I think if you can find a a professor or even a, a postdoc or or somebody who is at a higher career stage than yourself who is a good role model for you reach out to them say I'm really interested in in hearing your experiences um ask them if they could mentor you. They might say, no, I'm too busy and that's fine. Just try and find someone else. Um, read lots of people's experiences about being um, disabled in academia. There's lots and lots of stuff on Twitter, if Twitter is still a thing. I don't know, I've kind of abandoned it. Um, and I think this one might be a bit controversial, but try and be bold about your disability if that's something you feel comfortable doing because I know it can be really really scary and when I was applying for my current job I had the the struggle that I'm sure many disabled people have been through where it's oh should I should I disclose my disability before my interview should I mention it because legally you cannot be discriminated upon based on your disability in fact some universities have initiatives where if you are disabled you are guaranteed an interview however that doesn't mean the person interviewing you will 
not discriminate against you. They might think, oh, well, if you're autistic, you you can't communicate with people, so you're not going to be a good fit for the job. And they will find ways to come up with a reason that you shouldn't be hired. And it's not technically based on your disability, so it's fine. So I, I really had that struggle. And then I thought, you know what, actually, if this person is going to not appreciate me and the way I am because I'm autistic, then I don't want to work for them anyway. I want to work for somebody who appreciates the way I am and, and who who appreciates the, the way my brain works and sees it as a positive. So I decided to disclose it and it was absolutely terrifying. Of course it was, um, but I found it to be very positive. My supervisor is absolutely amazing and I really appreciate him. Um, and everyone I work with has reacted really positively. People are often like, oh, wow, you don't you don't seem autistic. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that one, too. Um, and I want to show people that actually, yeah, you can be a cool scientist wearing a dinosaur dungaree dress and you can be autistic and that's fine. And you can still have a cool career in science. And yes, it's, it is really scary to to be so open, but. I think unless more people are doing this, we're not going to make change. Like as, as a disabled community, we have to be open and honest and keep a dialogue going. And it's hard, but I think it's the only way that we're going to reduce stigma and make change for ourselves. So yeah, I guess try and find a mentor surround yourself with people who celebrate you and try and be open if you're comfortable of course not everyone is in a position where they can be and I'm really sorry if if you're in that situation because it's really hard but I hope things get better thank you so much that was fantastic thank you